So, one of the ways that we can come to the understanding that God is great is by going back and looking at what God has done in our lives, in the past, and through the historical historical accounts that we encounter in the Bible. Uh, I, I know Jonathan started, started the year off on the right foot with us with his sermon about having the right worldviews and uh, of knowing and understanding how God has worked in the past. So he, the big takeaway I, I, I received from uh, his sermon was that God is love, right? Despite what happened, despite what transpired in the Garden of Eden, and you can go in so many rabbit holes, in so many different directions there, God is love. That's right. So the, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the book of Genesis in the beginning of this year. And we're going to start looking at different things and different aspects and components of what God has done. And with the foundation that God is love, he is also an individual who gives us purpose. Do you believe that? And you know where the earliest account of that is found? In Genesis, chapter 2. So I invite you to open your Bible to chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't have a, a hard copy, your phone works as well. Uh, and if you don't have a phone, and you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get you a Bible so you can follow along. I, I don't have a whole lot of uh, scriptures quoted on the screen, but it's good to, to look at this. And before we dive into chapter 2, if you have spent time in the book of Genesis, you will notice or have noticed that chapter 1 and chapter 2 both tell the same story in different modes. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 both share the creation account, but in different through different lenses, we sort of speak. Chapter 1 begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, well, well, well hold on, Pastor. Aren't you supposed to start with chapter 1? Oh, excuse me, verse 1? You know... We could, but if you really look at the context, and, and, and you have heard me say this before, context is everything. And so the beginning of chapter 2, the context of chapter 2 is, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. 
and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the conclusion of the first chapter. Whoever broke down the Bibles into chapters and verses really didn't quite get because in, in, in Hebrew writing, there is no chapters and there is no verses. It's just a big story, a, a, an account. And so then when we go to verse 4, it says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And on, on the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had had grown for the lord had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground isn't that interesting you already start seeing a depiction of creation week in a different format in a different mode are they different accounts? No, they're the same thing. We just read, well, there was no man to till the ground. So what happens next? Well, that's a great question. Because when we start to compare chapter 1 and chapter 2, 1, chapter one is a chronological account of what happens. Day 1, God created light. Day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, and so on and so forth. However, in chapter 2, you have a geographical account of what happens. In other words, what happened in chapter 2 takes place already in a, in, a, in a location that was determined by the Creator, the garden. Both reveal a God with intentionality. In both accounts, there is one thing that we can take away is that God is very intentional about how he's doing and going about this. Chronologically or geographically? But what's really interesting, when you read chapter 2, let me just open parentheses here. I'm a shameless plug. I'm going to cover Genesis chapter 3 next week, so if you want to dive into it, be my guest. Okay? So in chapter 2, when we look at it, there are several things that stand out. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed his, into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living what? Being. Some of you may have a living soul. As Seventh-day Adventists, we believe that there is no life after death. Or we have what we call conditional immortality. What that means is that when you die... We believe, according to Scripture, that we go back to being the dust. We were created, again, we just saw the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. 
Jesus himself, the, in the Bible, chapter John, excuse me, the book of John, chapter one, says, in, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And, and everything that was made, that was made, was made by him. Now I'm paraphrasing. And the word was God. This is Jesus. John is talking about Jesus. And so the world and everything that was created that was created was created by the word. So Jesus kneels down and starts to fashion man from the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils. And as if some kind of science fiction movie, that pile of dirt now sculpted into the shape of a body begins to move and have life. The words that are used to depict here living being literally means alive, to breathe with vitality. That's why when we talk about the soul, it is the breath of God and the body, the physical body together. That is a soul. That's a living soul. It's not one or the other. It's not this figment of, of our imagination of this ghostly form that ascends up to the heavens and, and then is in, before God, all this. No. Alive, breathing, vitality. These are all signs of what, we, what God intended humanity to be like. God wanted you and I to be full of life. How many of you here are excited about life today? And I'm sorry that not most of you have your hands up. Because there's something going on in your life that is weighing you down, that you, you look at God and you say, Lord, when is this ever going to end? And so we look to God and asking him to deliver us. We look to God saying, why me? But when we look at the creation account, Jesus created us to enjoy life. He created us to have this vibrant, this vitality that can only come when you are excited, when you are happy, because you are fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Man, I got some people who are still asleep. <laughs> right? You see, we have gotten ourselves into such a rut. And, and, and Steve talked about this in the last Sabbath of the year. We looked for God to give us rest, but God created us to live. You following? We looked for rest when God meant for us to live. We'll get into this whole conversation later. God created you to live a vibrant life. That is his desire for you. How do I know this? Look at the words of Jesus. 
The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. How many of you are feeling dead this morning? And I'm not talking about dead as in like literally dead. I'm, like, I'm talking about spiritually dead. I'm talking about mentally tired, mentally dead. How many of you are in the position that you're saying, Lord, I need to be resurrected. I have come that they may have life. And life more abundantly. You see, you may be asking or telling yourself, oh, pastor, I don't have that life. Have you ever, have you taken a long, hard look at this story? John chapter 10, you have the good shepherd. There's three parables there. And in this particular parable, it's the shepherd who has gone back to his stables and he looks and he counts and there's one missing. And he goes back and he looks in searching of this lost sheep. And so when he finds it, he rejoices. He puts the sheep on his shoulders and carries it back into the fold. And this is the context for which we find this verse in. Jesus is saying, I didn't come here to kill and to destroy. I came to save. I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. See, life as God intended can only be achieved within the fold. Ooh. Think about that for a minute. Life, as God intended it to be, can only be achieved within the fold. Well, what fold are you talking about, Pastor? Do I have to become a Seventh-day Adventist? We can have that conversation later. I'm talking about the fold. First of all, you need to recognize Jesus as Lord. That's number one. If that is your desire, let's continue this conversation right now. Because the sheep that are in the fold have a purpose. I don't know if you stop to think about that. We looked at this parable and look at Jesus going out and bringing the, save, the lost back into the protected, the, the saved one. But we forget that even within the context of the, the fold, of the flock, the sheep have a purpose. What is the purpose of sheep? Have any of you ever cared for sheep before? I did. I hated her. Because every time that I would take her out to pasture and I would stake the stake on the ground so she would graze, as soon as I turned my back, she would headbutt me in my rear. I hated it. I wanted to barbecue that thing. But sheep have a purpose. They keep the grass low. 
They provide wool, which provides clothing. The problem is that when we look at the purpose of sheep and why they exist, and that sometimes they do provide food, but we look at the purpose that sheep serve, and we say to ourselves, that is just too simple. And we look at our lives and we say, that's just, I want more. I want to do more of my life. I want to have more. I want what's out there outside the fold. But God has given you a purpose already. And what is that purpose? Let's look at this for a minute. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, 8, and 15, they all have one thing in common. And this is the three verses kind of summarized. Verse 7 says, God formed man. That is right there at the beginning. Then in verse 8 says, the Lord planted a garden, and there he put the man. Woman was not created at this point. I could do a whole new sermon in chapter 2, but I'm not going to. And in verse 15 it says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to tend and keep it. You see what's going on here? The author of the book of Genesis, which we believe to be Moses, begins by starting in chapter 2 by setting layers. First, okay, we understand that God formed man. Great. Next, he planted a garden there and put man inside it. Okay, for what purpose? To tend and keep. The word tend and keep in the English language are almost synonymous, but not in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew language, tend and keep are two different things. One is to maintain, and the other one is to guard. When we look at this context then, it was God's intention for Adam to safeguard that precious creation that he had established because of what comes next in chapter 3. You see, when we look at the overall idea, Satan had already rebelled. And Satan was looking at the creation period with keen interest in seeing I'm going to take this for me. And I'm going to become the ruler if I am successful. And he was. I'm not going to jump too far ahead, but here's what we can see. Adam failed to guard the garden from the evil one. Because that is what tend to keep most. I want to share this particular quote with you from Be Like Jesus. It says, Thousands are betrayed into sin because they leave the citadel of the heart unguarded. They become engrossed with the cares of this world and the true godliness is driven from their hearts. They rush eagerly into speculation, seeking to accumulate more of this world's treasure. Thus, they place themselves where it is impossible for them to advance in the Christian life. 
And then she goes on to quote this verse, but I put it in the, in the message Bible. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stayed wide awake in prayer. See, one of the ways for us to guard our hearts is to be prayerful. One of the ways that we as a, as, as a church, as, as, as parents, as individuals, to safeguard and to keep and to, to tend and keep our hearts is to have an active prayer life. We all can do better. We all can do better at this. But my challenge this morning is simple. I will share that challenge here in a little bit. But she continues and she writes this. And while you pray, strive earnestly to guard your heart from all pollution what pollution the things that are calling for your attention the things that you when you inevitably start to open your eyes and you begin to start thinking about what you have to do throughout the day that's the pollution that can fill your day's agenda prior to going to God in prayer. So we need to start by guarding our hearts from the pollution, the things that we are preoccupied in. Okay, I need to go to work, I need to get kids to school, I need to make sure meals are ready, I need to and fill in the blank. That's pollution. That's why Jesus says, go into the closet, close the doors and pray to your God who is in heaven and he will hear you. For prayer without effort is a solemn mockery. See, it's it's not just a matter of guilty as charged. Father, thank you for this food. Help it to strengthen and nourish my body. In Jesus' name, amen. And that is all you pray. The next time somebody asks you to pray, you're going to go, Lord, thank you for this. I mean, uh, thank you for, I've done that. And I don't hear an amen because you probably have felt the same way. As I said, my challenge this morning is simple. When you look at the context of Genesis chapter 2. The greatest part of chapter 2 is what I'm not going to talk about, which is the marriage relationship and gift. That's for another time. But in the process of this series, the one question that I want to leave you with this morning is this. What are the things that God has entrusted you with that you must tend and keep? 
You see, going back to the issue of purpose, you already have a purpose. It may, it may not be what you dreamed of. It may not be what you expected. It may not even be what you wanted. But if it is all of those three, are you finding yourself inside the fold or outside? Have you placed yourself in a position where you need Jesus to come and rescue you because you need to find purpose again for your life? Or you just need a gentle reminder that you have value, that the shepherd will go searching out for you, and that he has given you a purpose for in which to live. And life, as you know it, will be filled with vitality. You see, Jesus also himself said, he that is faithful in the least of these things will be faithful in much. You can't expect to have it both ways. Start off with the small things that God has given you. Be faithful. Tend to it. Keep it. Guard it. And God will bless you. What are the things that God has given you and entrusted you with that you must tend and keep? There are some things that I will tell you right now for those of you that are parents is our children. It is my goal this year to equip you as parents with resources to protect them. I'll take it one step further. It is my goal this year to protect, help you, husband and wife, man and woman, to equip you with the resources to tend and to keep your marriage. I invite you to come along this journey with us. We have great things planned. More to come next week. May God bless you.